That coming? Anyone ever see that before? That's a good commercial. That's a good commercial. I don't know if you had any feelings as you were watching that. I think I saw some smiles out there, even I heard a couple awes out there. I did. When I saw that commercial, I was drawn in, personally. I was engaged, absolutely. I was caught up with the hope of the Christmas season and felt maybe like a boy again, anticipating that. And then they twisted it at the end, right? And then I realized it was a commercial. Then I realized that John Lewis, whoever John Lewis is, wanted to sell me something. And then I began to have different feelings. Isn't that funny? I learned that John Lewis is actually in the United Kingdom a uh, distributor of gifts, almost like a mini, mini Amazon kind of thing where you can go to John Lewis and buy whatever you want in the UK. But, but here's what I learned as I watched that commercial, that we are impressionable people and marketers know that, right? Salesmen know that, that we are people who are, if you can make an impression on me, you can sell me things. If you can't make an impression on me, you can. And the truth is this, that I put it this way this morning, that what we are impressed by, we live by. And this is why marketers and salespeople fight for the space around the Christmas season, why some of us love Christmas because of the purity of it, and some of us hate it because of the busyness of this, that marketers and advertisers are fighting just to continue to sell us capital or consumerism, um, and really our capitalistic enterprise are just trying to sell us stuff. And we get tired of that, and so we kind of hate the whole Christmas season because we know that people are just fighting so that we can spend our money somewhere. We know there's got to be more than that. But what we're impressed by, marketers know, we live by. And I would argue that this is true for the faith as well. That what you're impressed by, you live by. And here's what I mean by that. If some of you have walked into the faith impressed by the people who are older than you, who have left a lasting impression on your life, some of us have walked into the faith because of people before us because of a family member, a mentor, whatever it might be. Some of us have walked into the faith because of our own view of God has been radically changed, maybe through an experience like what Adelie is talking about, maybe something else. But what we are impressed by, we live by. And sometimes I walk into faith, and I'm, I realize that my, my faith, I've been most impressed by people who have been most faithful, and so I tend to live up to the standard of I must therefore be faithful. Some people are impressed by a God of incredible grace, and therefore we live by a God of incredible grace, that what we're impressed by, we live to, we live by. And that is true spiritually, it's also true economically, certainly. And this morning, where I want to take you in our final installment of this series called Free From That, which is really a study, a look at the book of Galatians, or the early letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. This is our final installment. What we see there is that there is a battle in the early church for what the church in its earliest form is going to actually live up to. What is going to impress it the most? What, when they kind of walk into church, if you will, on a Sunday morning, what are they going to look to that will most impress and influence them? Because Paul knows they're going to live up to that standard. Will it be the incredible lives of the most religious and righteous people around them, who I must therefore model and imitate, who are always reliable and consistent and faithful, and have a smile on their face. If they impress me, I need to live to that standard. Or is there another standard by which Christians, early Christians, are called to be impressed in the cross of Christ and to live to that standard? And the two are different, but sometimes they can merge into one. 
And Paul wants to differentiate that for the earliest of churches, and I would argue it is a good lesson for us to reflect on even this Christmas season. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn to the letter, to the book of Galatians chapter 6. It is the last chapter in this little letter. It's in the right two-thirds of your Bible, and if you don't own a Bible, there's one in the chair near you. That's our gift to you. But Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 12, is where we're going to be this morning as we really finish this up. And if you haven't been here before me again, you know, I'd love, I'm glad you're here, but I'm going to kind of go verse by verse to walk through some things that I hope will be helpful for us as we think about what has most impressed us and what is most impressing us in our own either walk with Christ or interest in what Christ has to offer. Because I don't assume that everybody in the room or everyone online is currently following Christ. Many, I would argue, are still trying to figure out what does this actually look like. So if you will, look with me at Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. Paul writing there, he makes this case. He said, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Immediately we jump into the issue. Impressing is simply, simply understood to show off. It's an outward expression. That's what the word means in the original language. It's just understand it as showing off. When you think about that, that's exactly what it is. Someone setting up an external thing. And here's the verse, and I don't know if you've seen this framework in the verse, so I want to make it really clear in a second. I want to actually read it from the message first, because I think they summarize it really well. And the message, we read it this way, that these people who are attempting to force the ways of circumcision on you only have one motive. They want an easy way to look good before others, lacking the courage to live by a faith that shares Christ's suffering and death. That verse hurts when I read it. <laughs> like really, they want an easy way to look good before others, lacking the courage to live by a faith that shares Christ's suffering and death. I just want to show off to you that I still got a smile on my face after adversity, but I'm not really going to enter Christ's suffering, but I want you to see that I'm reaching some kind of standard. I want to impress you, even though I may not verbalize it that way. Sometimes that can happen, and you may have felt that, and I may have sometimes projected that. And Paul speaks into that in his particular way. And now here I want to take you to the framework of the verse in question. Look at it up on the screen with me. I'm just taking the text of the NIV and putting it up here. He says in the first sentence, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. This topic at hand is so ancient that I can't immediately relate to it. I have never had in the course of my adult life a, t a conversation with other peers about circumcision. Unless it's in the biblical concept of studying the Bible. Outside of that, I don't typically talk about this. All right? Neither do you, I don't think. Unless you're in the medical field or talking about a biblical verse, right? So let me, let me change this a little bit, because I want to change, I want to take out Paul's context, and now I, this is not in the Bible. This is me interpreting now, so this is flawed. I just want to introduce this, but this is flawed. But I'm going to take the framework, because I think we still do what Paul is talking about here, but I'm going to change the words. I'm going to put it this way, that those who want to impress people by, for example, how much they serve are trying to compel you to serve as much as they are. This is different now all of a sudden. Now I'm starting to get a little personal, and I may be wrong. 
You get to be the judge of that. But here's what's important, as I'm going to walk through a couple examples. There are times that what's important here is this word impress. Service isn't a bad thing. But those who want to impress, if I want to impress you, if I want you to live up to a standard of service, then I'm going to compel you to serve as much as I am. Let me pick on another one for a minute. Those who want to impress people by how relevant they are are trying to compel you to keep up with the right things. Let me keep going. I have just a few of these. Those who want to impress people by how beautiful they are are trying to compel you to eat, wear, and post the right things. Let me keep going. Those who want to impress people by how insightful they are are trying to compel you to read, study, and learn more. Those who are trying to impress people by how humble they are are trying to compel you to live more simply with less, maybe, ambition. Those who are trying to impress people by how right they are, trying to compel you to see things their way. Those who are trying to impress people by how generous they are, trying to compel you to give away more and own less. Those who are trying to impress people by how committed to God they are, trying to compel you to be just as committed. And finally here, those who are wanting to impress people by their leadership gifts are trying to compel you to follow them. Now, I've pushed into a little bit of a space there. Here's what I see. This challenge is in front of you and in front of me. These things on their own are not bad. It's not bad to have leadership gifts. It's not bad to be generous. It's not bad to serve. It's not bad to be faithful. It's not bad to be committed to God. It's not bad to be relevant. None of those things are bad. But when I subtly use them somehow to impress you, what I want is so I want you to think like me. I want, I want you to give like me. I want you to serve like me. I want you to do things like, like I do. And, and I can impress upon you a kind of outward religious or religiosity that just inspires you to live up to my standards as if somehow my standards are the best or maybe even only ones. I want to gather around me people who will think and act like me so that I don't actually have to serve like Christ. I just have to have enough people who don't challenge me who, to, to live any differently, and then maybe we can all kind of move through this world and impress one another. You can impress me by how generous you were, and I can impress you by how faithful I served. And Paul sees this tendency in all of our hearts to both want to impress people and be impressed by them, and he calls it out and says, those who want to do that, he says in verse 13, he says, the next verse, not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. In other words, not even those who are the most generous are able to be generous all the time. Not even those who are the most beautiful are able to be the most beautiful all the time. Not even those who have good leadership gifts can, can ex exercise those leadership gifts all the time. No one can be perfect all the time, and, but you want people around you sometimes who are, who are like that so that I can boast that there are more people like me. This is something that we continue, continue to do. And then Paul goes on in verse 14 to kind of give us this big idea of his writing in this moment. He says in 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And there's a lot in this verse, and I can only swing by it real quickly. He says, may I only boast in Christ, in, except in the cross of Christ, in no other way. Now, boasting sounds so terrible, to be honest. I mean, if I were to encourage you to boast in something, you would most likely be like, well, I don't want to boast. Because you know, and you've been trained, that boasting is antisocial behavior, right? Isn't it true that, does anyone have an emotional reaction when you drive up behind somebody and they have a bumper sticker on the back of their car that says, my kid made the honor roll at whatever, 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 right? Yeah, that's kind of become a little bit of a funny thing in our culture. And I'm just picking on low-hanging fruit. I'm, I would encourage you if you're a parent and your child is on the honor roll. I'm not discouraging academic success. 
but it has become something that we've laughed at a little bit and just enjoyed some of the fun of that. And then you see something like, like my dog was on the honor roll at whatever, right? And they see those things. Because people don't like people who boast, right? We know that's antisocial behavior. And yet Paul says boast in something, and we need to be clear on what boasting means. Let me define it for, for you the way Paul would have used it. He put it this way. This is what the original language means. Boasting is to express an unusually high degree of confidence in someone or something being exceptionally noteworthy. Now, if I were to ask you this question, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, would you want this to describe your faith in Christ? Would you say, yeah, you know what? I have an unusually high degree of confidence in Christ as my Savior. And he is exceptionally noteworthy. I would affirm that, right? I would affirm that. But to hear the word boasting can sometimes turn me whoop, off to that real quick. And so this is why I want to suggest this, that we can boast with our choices as well as our voices. We can boast with our choices as well as our voices. In other words, we can live out, and I live out, for example, that I have, I have an iPhone and not an Android with my choice I don't walk around saying that I think Apple is better than Android, but if you were to look at my choices, you would recognize that I am, quote unquote, boasting in Apple compared to Android. Now, don't judge me for that or don't clap for me for that, because this is not the point of that. But you can see that with my choices, I am making that choice to affirm that I have a higher degree of confidence here than over there, all right? And that's across the board in what I might wear, in what I might drive, and how I might live, that you can look at my life and the choices that I make, and you can discern there are times when, you, when I need to use my voice to verbalize my boast in Christ. There is also times when, through my choice, you will see that, yes, I have a strong boast, if you will, in Christ. And so I would argue what Paul is saying here is there's opportunities to use your choice to boast in Christ. And he is a little more specific at the end of the verse because that's still kind of broad. Look at the end of that verse. He says, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? That's a funny one, isn't it? If you lived in a more conservative area, which is this area, by the way, in general, Sometimes when we see that, and look at that again with me, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does the world mean? Often our instinct is, well, the world means all that is quote-unquote bad. Ethics, morality, people who sleep with others before marriage, people who watch R-rated movies, people who drink or consume certain things. That's the world, right? All of its passions toward hedonism or humanistic thinking, all the ways in which the world kind of pushes out God, so to speak, and we just think about ourselves. Those things are the, the world. And that's easy to talk about it that way, but let me ask you, is that what Paul is saying in this moment? When he's writing this out, does he have that in mind? I would argue that he doesn't have that in mind, that what's in mind in this verse is this issue. That the world, I would argue, is the people who I'm trying to impress versus the Christ that I'm trying to elevate. What Paul is arguing, I think, here is the, the, the issue... The choice for Paul then is, am I going to boast in Christ or am I going to boast in your standards for me? There's a distinction here that the world, I would argue, is the, the tendency and the want to impress. I want to impress you. I want you to like me. I want to give to you something where you affirm me and where then I affirm you. 
And I would argue that in the context of this chapter, what Paul is saying is, friends, our tendency is going to want to be to impress one another, to impress one another, to live by the standards that we can live by. And those are incredibly low standards. <laughs> and then when we violate our community standards, then we get upset with one another. Right? We, we put... We can put law in between us rather than love. You've experienced this. Some of our community standards may, may say this, say that while we may affirm a young person who's going to Africa to study, we are also not going to affirm, and we're gonna struggle with a young person who's made a questionable ethical or moral choice. I mean, it's just the way it is, right? When, when people make moral decisions that go outside of the framework of what's accepted in our community, what do we do? What do I fill that gap with? Do I fill it with law? Have they violated? That's not impressive anymore, friends, what they did. Hey, they got a divorce, right? Hey, they, had a, they chose to have an abortion. They're struggling with their, their gender identity. I mean, they can sit in the back row maybe, but I'm not sure I'm going to elevate their voice. How do I even interact? When people make significantly different choices than fit our community, what do I do with that, and how do I engage that? And I would argue this, and you can decide whether I'm right or wrong on this, but I want to put it this way, that, that being crucified to the world means that I shift the focus of my relationships from the law that you are violating to the love that I'm responsible for. See, when I have a focus in my relationship with you for the law that you're violating. I get upset with you when you don't agree with me. I get confused when you don't dress like me or when you are oriented, if you will, to this world differently than me. Because the law is what I'm going to live by, and the law might be what you have default lived by. The law is then also the law that I make an impression on you. Here's how he should live. Here's how she should live. Here's their ethic that they should engage with. And we live by impressing one another so that we create a community that, hey, I'll impress you, you'll impress me, and we'll just together live at our lower standard of impressing one another. And as long as I'm fitting in that community somewhere, we're good to go. And Paul says, I'm going to take that, I'm going to be crucified to the world and the world to me. I am going to take the impressions of other people and set them aside. Can you imagine how free it would be if you didn't have to worry about what anybody thought about you around you, and that you were free from the weight of trying to impress? You were free from the, the pressure of family, friends, church, whatever it is, influence that you may feel weighs you. Can you imagine what it would be, be to be free from the weight of impressing anybody or being impressed by, to only boast, as Paul says, in the cross of Christ. Because, and here's why it's so true, I would argue, is because of what he says next in verse 15. The reason that this is true, he says this, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Here's what I think he's saying. He's like, friends, and, and this is such a big thing in this world, again, because circumcision was the foundation by which you were accepted into the community of faith historically, pre-Christ. You were accepted into the community of faith on the basis of your circumcision or not. And now he's saying the very thing that used to hold a community of faith together, this doesn't matter anymore as the basis of our faith. In other words, he's saying, whether you, let me put it this way in our world, whether you are divorced or not, 
that doesn't save or condemn you. Whether you've had sex before marriage or not, that doesn't save or condemn you. Let me go so far as to say whether you have murdered someone or not, that neither saves nor condemns you. Because even Paul himself had a hand in the murder of innocent people. Even King David, a man after God's own heart, becomes an honored patriarch of our faith, even though he was a murderer. And so, friends, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither the violation of a law, even a communal standard, that isn't the issue. Don't be impressed by or impress upon. Don't live up to simply what a community might expect from you. It's too low a standard. Be crucified to that, he says. Hang on to the cross of Christ. And what does that mean? And here's what I would argue that means is it's the choice. It's the choice in this space of replacing law with love to say every time, every time when I'm offended by what you believe, by what you say, by your position on something, rather than arguing with you, again, rather than arguing, not argue for the right thing, but the right thing. <laughs> Being someone who says, you know, I don't need, I'm going to prioritize understanding, forgiveness. I'm going to take the gospel which says, you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. You deserve to die, I deserve to die. But God in his grace gave me a chance, saved me, redeemed me. And I'm going to give that to you in relationship. And so every time that you forgive me instead of condemning me, I would argue you're boasting in Christ. Every time you listen to your child instead of quickly condemning their behavior, I would argue you're giving them a gospel chance. You're boasting in Christ. Every time you look in the mirror and think you're ugly, but you're reminded that your beauty comes from a loving Heavenly Father who has made you, I would argue you're living into the boast of Christ, that He has made you for who you are. Every time you walk in, in your choices, into a moment of the gospel, where you're redeemed, saved, forgiven, freed, grace-oriented, I would argue you are boasting in Christ alone. Because when you look in that mirror at yourself and you see the community standards that you are failing to meet, you immediately bring judgment on yourself. And Paul says, be crucified to that, friends. That should not be what impresses anybody, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither beauty nor strength nor vitality nor intellect nor insight will save nor condemn you. Boast only in Christ, he says. This is what he boasts in. And then he continues. This is a beautiful part of it as we finish up this section. He says, peace and mercy. I love that. Verse 16. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God, not just the nation of Israel, but to all now who will belong to God who follow this. And then, I love this. If you, I, I hope you'll love this. He says, from now on, verse 17, and now I'm going to put a pause in there. I picture Paul, this is a terrible image, this is not in the Bible, it's just me being creative, and maybe wrong, you can decide. I picture Paul sitting on his front porch, he didn't have a front porch, sitting on his front porch on a rocking chair in his old age, just being like, get off my grass on this issue. That's what I picture. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. <laughs> I'm tired. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. That's what I picture. Now, that's just me. 
It's almost like he's saying, guys, I have fought for this my whole life. People have tried to stone me for this. I have been over and over and over this with you again, right? From now on, would you stop causing me trouble on this issue? And then he finishes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I want you to have grace. I want you to be free from all that enslaves you. I want you to experience, as he just says there in verse 16, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. And I want to stop being bothered by people who are trying to impress each other on the basis of who we think we really are. Such a beautiful end, such a beautiful section. And so let me finish it this way by saying this again, that what we are impressed by, we live by. What we're impressed by, we live by, and I would, I would wonder, what has impressed you most about the faith of Jesus Christ? Because if it is the grace of Christ, let me encourage you not to substitute it for any other sham of a religion. That somehow I must live and dress and act and speak and orient in a certain way that makes sense in our community because our community standards all of a sudden are the highest they are not. And I'm all for community standards, by the way, of civility and love and kindness, all right? But what we're impressed by, we live by. And so let me encourage you to go back to what Paul says. Let me boast only in Christ. Let me live out in my relationships the choice of the gospel in kindness and favor and grace and forgiveness and redemption and hope and holiness. Now, we are finishing this whole series today, not just the message. And so as I, as I land that plane of the whole series, um, I want to encourage you with one thing. I don't know if you guys memorize verses or not, but I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to at least think about memorizing two verses in Scripture in particular in this series on Galatians. And it's Galatians 5, 13, and 14. I'm going to put it up here because I think it summarizes everything about this series. And you may sit there and say, then why didn't you just say this at the beginning? Could have saved us 12 weeks? So here you go. You, Paul writes, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. This is why we call this thing free from that. You are free from that. You're called to be free. And that voice is the voice that our country can get behind, that our state can get behind, that our people of faith can get behind. You're called to be free, right? Called to be free. But then he says, on the back end of that, very quickly, he says, there we go, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That check is so important right now, isn't it? And then he goes on, rather, serve one another humbly in love. Why is that? Well, here's the reason why. It's real easy. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm telling you, if our country, if our nation, if our state, if our community, if we, if me, if I could get this, that alone can be a life-changing reality. Yes, I'm called to be free, absolutely. Called to be free, I'm going to affirm that. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. I don't get to do whatever I want to do. I don't get to say whatever I want to say. That's not freedom. Rather, I'm going to use my freedom to serve you humbly in love because the entire law is fulfilled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want to encourage you to memorize this. And then I'm going to ask you this one question, and then I promise you I'm landing the plane, pulling it into the hangar, and we're done. I don't own a plane. It might be fun to own a plane sometimes. Anyway, 
I want to ask you this question. I don't think I've ever asked this before, this directly, but I'm going to ask it. it. It's not a hard question. I want to ask this, what has left an impression on you? All right, what has left an impression on you? Not just in general, because I don't think you're going to think about this very much, but here's what I'm going to ask you that I haven't asked before. I want, I'm going to ask you to email me, text me, or call me with an answer to this. It's not too painful, is it? I'm going to invite you. I want to hear from you if you are willing. I, I'm re I really would. I really want to hear what has left an impression. That can be an impression of a positive impression. It can also be a wondering. Like, I'm wrestling with how this actually works. It can also be a critique of like, I think things went too hard here. I'm impressed by, meaning I don't think I quite get this. I think you went too hard here. I am curious to hear how have you been impressed in one way or the other by this series? What has made an impression on you? And can I ask you to do it in the next day or two? I really am serious. I'd love to hear from you. My business card is in the foyer on the way out. Fair enough? All right, I would love to hear that. All right, so friends, I'd, you are free from that. You're also free from an obligation to do what I just asked you to do, by the way. Out of love, would you humbly serve me in that space? Oh, yeah, that's Don't let me manipulate you. I would love to hear from you if it's a good time to hear from you. I really would. Because, guys, I, I would long to hear how is God working in you and what wonderings and questions and processing do you have. It means a ton to me. I hope that this series has helped you in some ways. I, I have intentionally tried to make it challenging and very challenging in some spaces, and I know it has been for some of you. And I push on that because I believe in the... the in the pure gospel of Christ, and the best way that we can get behind that. So may I encourage you, friends, what you are impressed by, you live by, and let us boast in our relationships in the cross of Christ alone. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be here this morning to um, come around this final principle from this passage of Scripture, the idea of boasting and the opportunity to choose in my relationships to model forgiveness, kindness, grace, redemption of Christ and the cross to the people around me to replace law with love, love that I'm responsible for. That doesn't mean soft, weak, mushy stuff, but it doesn't mean less than kindness, which draws us to repentance. So I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight, good conversation to nuance this in our own families in our own friend groups. So Father, I pray that you'd help us to, to live by what we're most impressed by, and I pray that you'd help us not to be most impressed by one another, but to be impressed by the cross of Christ, that we can live to that. Give us the strength to keep that edge, I pray. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.